episode 46 of the Christian Feminist Podcast. I'm Leah Henning, and with me today are Sarah Davis and Bethany Norman. Hello, Sarah and Bethany. Hello. Today we are talking about singleness and the church, but before we start, let's introduce ourselves for any listeners that are new to the program. All right. My name is uh, Sarah Davis, and I am a librarian in Waco, Texas. I've been here for about two years. Um, I am a youngest child, and I have uh, really been aware of singles my whole life. My father was the director of the single adult uh, Sunday school class when I was a kid. And so even when I was a a child, I would see kind of adults of all ages going through this stage of life. And as I grew up and then I became one of them, it's kind of uh, been very interesting for me to see the other side of it um, as an adult rather than the perceptions you have as a child. Great. Um, I'm Bethany Norman. Um, I live in Houston, Texas currently, but I'm actually from Atlanta. I'm here um, on contract as a travel nurse. I work in labor and delivery. Um, My sister and my brother-in-law are actually both parts of um, the Christian Humanist Network. Um, So they asked me to come on and I have a two-year-old lab named Hank. All right. And I am Leah Henning. I am currently living in Woodbury, Minnesota, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. I am working multiple jobs at the moment. I'm an adjunct professor of history at Crown College, um, and I'm also a job coach for a vulnerable adult. Uh, I was, of course, raised here in Minnesota with a a very interesting yet conservative Christian family um, who were both new Christians at the time that they raised me, so had very uh, unique ways of teaching their child uh, about Christianity as they themselves were learning about it. All right, and now to get to the heart of the matter, um, anyone who has not been in a romantic relationship and been involved in the church will know that there is a very strange or unique relationship between singles and the rest of the body. Uh, People who fit the label of single, no matter what their age is, just don't quite seem to fit with most other ministries or groups offered in church settings. This, of course, leads to the question about what the church defines as single and how we as a religious entity are supposed to reach this elusive group of people. Is a single in the church simply someone still waiting for the one that God has chosen for them? Or are they the widowed, the elderly, who no longer have that special someone? In addition, what does this undefined labeling mean to those who fall under that label? Um, As a single woman who is raised on the true love waits mantra in the church and is bombarded with language about what it means to be single, I could rant about any number of things connected to this topic. But for now, why don't we go through and talk about our own experience with singleness and the church? Bethany? Yes. So um, I'm 28 years old and I grew up in um, a great, strong Christian home um, and grew up just like you said, kind of with the true love waits mantra lingering (laughs) all the time. And um, also just, you know, the normal conversations people have in church and kind of went off to college expecting that I would meet somebody in college and get married and then, you know, just instantly begin my life, (laughs) Um, which was clearly not the case. (laughs) So um, 
I've kind of had to have this reconciling with what I thought my life would be versus what it is now, which is something that now I think is even more beautiful than I would have imagined. Um, but seeing it through the lens of other people at church has made that hard at times. Um, I guess if I were looking at singleness in the church, my one word that I would use to describe it would be frustrated. Growing up, you know, you I, I don't know how it was for you guys, but the churches that I went to um, when I was a kid never really had singles groups. And if they did, it was only people that were like in their 40s and, and older. Um, it was a, it was kind of like a, I don't know, just a mishmash of people, um, not a strong presence whatsoever, very small groups. Um, so for me, kind of trying to sort out where I fit after I came back you know, from college and I had a job and I was still single, how that would work. Um, so uh, it's just been discovering the landscape over the past few years. I found a lot more churches with singles ministries. I feel like it's something that's starting to be on people's radar um, that they're realizing it's, it's a, a weakness perhaps and a thing that's lacking in many churches. And like you said, it's an elusive group that people don't really know how to minister to. So um, as I got older and I was, you know, graduating college and still being single myself, um, I had to kind of reconcile what I had seen in these singles groups to what my life actually was, um, which was just something just different than what I had expected. I didn't really know how to handle it. So um, I do feel like I've noticed in the past years that a lot of churches are starting to see um, kind of what I would call a problem with the singles not really being, like you said, um, a group that they could master, kind of an elusive group um, that nobody really knows how to properly minister to. And I've seen it done all sorts of different ways. Um, I've been to places that have a specific singles group um, that I've heard described as a, quote, meat market um, before that was literally the largest group I've ever seen at any church ever. I've seen other churches that I was a member of with no singles group at all, um, because they wanted to avoid that and, you know, coming to church to meet people. So people just handle it all sorts of different ways. But my overall impression is just frustrated um, that it seems to be something that people avoid just so they don't have to kind of deal with it. <laughs> so as a person, you know, you, you start to feel kind of like a um, a burden, I guess, somehow, um, because people don't really know how to minister. Um which I feel like could be a, a great group of people to kind of, you know, I don't know, approach glorifying God in our particular situation. Um, so there's also, I found um, in my personal life with well-meaning family members, friends, and also churches and just kind of the attitudes that you displayed there. Um, kind of like a, um, like people feel sorry for me. <laughs> Um, which is, again, frustrating <laughs> um, that people seem to apologize to you about your singleness. They seem to um, want to fix your singleness. They seem to attribute your singleness to something that you are doing, um, which is something I've kind of had to deal with over time because it's impacted my life and how I view myself and um, where God has me at this particular moment. So. Um, I guess that's kind of my overall experience with singleness in the church is just kind of generally frustration and um, wanting to be somewhere where people really know how to minister to people who um, are different. And also just being frustrated at the lack of um, acknowledging of the group as a whole and that some people are called to singleness, um, which, you know, that's kind of a different topic entirely. But um, just realizing that that's kind of a missing portion of most ministries that I've seen is that um, there's this large people group that is just not really being um, nurtured in a way that it possibly could be. So um, I think that's kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> I love that you, um, I guess you didn't outright say this, but single is kind of the dirty word of church, isn't it? It where, is very uh, much so. Very <laughs> definitely. Uh, well, Sarah, do you want to talk about your experience? Uh, sure. Well, like I said in my intro, I feel like I've been around singles my whole life. My father was the single adult Sunday school teacher in our small uh, East Texas church. And my experience at that time was 
kind of like what Bethany had stated that the only people I knew who were single in church were the single again. And there was always a bit of a, well, they are single again. And there was a bit of a stigma attached to them because they were divorced, which in a small East Texas town was still kind of scandalous. And so as I've grown up and I've seen that I have become one of these individuals, just like Bethany said, it can be very interesting because the church doesn't quite know what to do with us. Um, what I have, what has been my experience has been that most of the time, the singles ministry, if there is one, kind of becomes the last responsibility of the most junior male minister at the church. So he's in charge of college, recreation, oh, and by the way, also single adults. And so with that, you get a um, you get a feeling that we're not quite wanted, which doesn't make sense because singles are a huge, huge growing population. And they're somebody that I think the church desperately needs to bring in because we can give a lot of time. But most church outreach is really oriented towards families and people with children. Um my experience being single is, again, kind of as Bethany said, that there's a sense of sometimes you, they feel sorry for you. Um, and that just like her, I grew up and I thought I would go to a good school and I would uh, meet the guy I was supposed to marry when I was a junior and I'd have my ring by spring. And as I slowly, even in college, realized that wasn't going to be my story, my life has turned out very differently. But the benefits that I've come... I found from this is that I've it's led to some very, very rich friendships with some of my uh, other female friends who are going through this same life phase as I am and that life hasn't turned out the way we've expected. In fact, I actually have a group of friends here in town and we meet on a monthly basis to pray for each other, talk about our walk with Christ and specifically how what does it mean to be single in our stage of life? And it's been really a blessing to be able to talk with them and get wonderful feedback with these amazing women. And we've met because since my town definitely has a lack of resources for singles, several uh, single adults from various churches in town have come together to basically make a non-denominational Christian singles group. And so I've been part of that for several years. We meet on a monthly basis to do worship, social events, and kind of provide that ministry for each other, especially because many of the churches we might belong to are smaller and do not have the ability to meet the needs of singles. So we had to go outside of our, out of our physical church walls and invest in our greater capital C church to find the resources that we really need. That sounds like an amazing ministry to be a part of, um, to have that support group, uh, especially one that you've created because you've recognized that need for it. I just want to give a shout out to that, to you and your group for that. Well, thank you. We've, we've been working very hard on it and we've been uh, reaching out to various preachers and ministers. And the thing we really want to make sure people know is that this is definitely not a meat market. We have a few people who have, who have gotten together after being in the same group and being friends for several years, but that is in no way, shape or form the point of, cornerstone in Waco. It is just that we recognize that this is a difficult stage of life and that especially singles, nobody comes to see you. You always have the responsibility of going to see somebody else. You go, no, you go to see your brother and sister. You go to see your parents. Very few times is anyone going to say, hey, let's go see the individual who lives in the small apartment Yes. Can I you give know. a huge amen to this comment? Because that is one of my biggest frustrations um, with friends, family, everything alike is um, the sheer numbers game of it. <laughs> I have no husband. I have no children. So I become a lot easier to not visit and to become more portable, or at least that's how everybody else sees it. So thank you for making that statement because I 100% agree. No problem. All right. And I guess... I, I don't really have too much to add. You both have covered the experience of being single so well. Um, I will say my 
personal experience has been kind of hilarious when I look back on it. I, I do want to say that I'm the youngest out of the three of us. So you two have put up with a lot more than I have. It seems like um, I, I have been single my entire life. I have never been in a romantic relationship, but I was always surrounded by people, even in the church, who were people of my own age group, my peers, and being raised in a Christian home to be that good little Christian girl. Uh, as I was growing up, I had that expectation kind of placed on me. Oh, you're going to start dating a nice Christian boy any day now. And again, when I went away to school, um, it was with the expectation of, oh, well, now I will finally meet somebody. Um, and uh, lo and behold, every time that I would go home on a school break, uh, the well-meaning parishioners in my church at home would ask me, oh, have you started dating anybody yet? Emphasis on the yet. And over the years, they've stopped asking. <laughs> and I've also had those experiences with the singles groups where it seems that the only reason why a large number of those people are there is to find someone to marry and settle down with um, rather than have that fellowship and have that connection with people who are in a same life situation as you are. Um, so I would definitely agree with Bethany that with the frustration being the key word and connection to singleness in the church. Well, Leah, I wanted to kind of piggyback on something that you had said. You had mentioned that your uh, fellow church members had started talking about, oh, when are you, are you dating anyone yet? Um, personal story I'll share is a few years ago, about two or three my mom had always talked about things of, oh, when you get married, when you get married. And she made the switch to saying, if you get married. And I noticed this immediately. And I asked my mother about, you know, what does this if mean? And what she said was that she still felt that she always felt that it would be something that would happen for me. But she didn't want to place undue expectations on me that if I chose to not marry, that I had any way let them down by not providing them with grandchildren or anything like that. And that was very, very special for my mother to tell me because part of what you think of as a child is that's as, as a young girl is I grow up, then I get married and I have children. And that's just part of what your role is, especially when you've grown up in the church. And so my mother providing that story and kind of telling me, you know, you have in no way failed as a female if you choose to not marry was very meaningful for me. Yeah, that's Sarah. That's very impressive. I feel like um, that vocabulary is so important and people don't realize how important it can come off. Um, I had hilariously a very opposite situation with that exact same verbiage um, in which my family would always kind of like pick at me. Um, just like some personal back history is that I've kind of I've dated a lot in my life, um, just kind of always had boyfriends, you know, um, not a lot of like dates, but in school kind of always had long term boyfriends. Um, and in college, I dated one guy for four years. We were very close to engagement and um, I just couldn't get a piece about it. And I eventually broke it off with him. But um, ever since then, I haven't had any relationship that's lasted longer you know, than a few months, anything very serious or long term. And that was when I was about 22 or 23. So throughout these many years of singleness, my family picks at me about being too picky or about, you know, whatever the joke may be. And it's all very lighthearted. But um, a few years back, my little brother made the, well, if Bethany ever gets married comment. <laughs> and he's he's about 10 years younger than me. He's only in high school. And I, you know, kind of quickly corrected him. And I said, like, it's not funny. We're not making this joke anymore. You know, just because I'm single doesn't mean I'm the butt of the jokes. Um, but ever since then, I've very been sensitive to the, the verbiage of that, that society kind of uses and especially the church uses about, well, you'll find the one 
or he's just not here yet or whatever the verbiage may be that is implying that you will get married. And um, although I still feel like that is something in my future and I pray about it a lot and I talk about it a lot. And like you said, like your mom still feels like it's something that will happen for you. Um, I am, I've become keenly aware of the fact that like there are people that are just, you know, meant to be single. And to those people, I, th- I feel very sensitive to them of, you know, not wanting to use verbiage that would feel like I was demeaning what they feel is their purpose in their life or whatever situation they're in. So in a way, I think it's been very nice because it's made us all very sensitive to each other and how our purposes are all different, which is really good. Well, Bethany, one of the things you just said is that people who feel that they are going to be single. And one of the things that I feel that as Protestants, or at least evangelicals that we've done is we kind of threw the idea of like being single as like a baby out with the bathwater um, with Catholicism. I mean, they actually went through and like made nuns and monks get married to each other. And so this idea, I think in Protestant, or at least the evangelicalism that I grew up with that, no, you can have a theology of being single and that is okay. is not something that anyone ever discusses. Definitely not. Yeah. I, I cannot recall a single time that it's ever really been discussed in church that I can think of for me. Well, I can definitely say I have heard only one sermon ever about being a single, but I've heard multiple sermons about how to be a good grandparent. So I guess they know the audiences of the people who are actually physically sitting there. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) Um, Which I can take that back. Um, There's an article or a sermon I'll mention later. And is the only sermon where I've heard that mentioned, um, which is really good, but it is the one and only. So it is kind of a lacking thing. All right. Before we get too carried away, um, we did actually read an article or rather a blog for today's podcast. Um, And I'm going to throw it to Sarah to get us started on that. All right. Well, this article um, is from a blog that is wonderfully named. And the blog is called More Than Don't Have Sex. The idea behind it being that as Christians, we have to be telling singles more than P.S. don't have sex. Um, And so this specific article was posted on August 31st of this year, and it's called Is Getting Married in God's Hands? And I really wanted to talk about this specific article because it touches on lots of things that I see some of my single female friends going through. And I think Bethany or maybe Leah, one of y'all mentioned earlier about the idea of waiting for God to bring me the one, and I say the one in air, in scary air quotes, and that the idea of that is very problematic and very wrong uh, theologically. And he talks about how do people get here? What are some of the motivations uh, for this? And some of the good motivations he talks about is that a lot of times when people talk about the one and that we're waiting on God to bring this person to me, they're really trying to honor God. They don't want to take false credit or assume they know all the answers in life. So that's pretty good. They want to have a submissive attitude towards God, that it's his will, not mine. Again, a very good starting point. And then they, some people want to make sure they're not so overly focused on uh, marriage that it becomes an idol to them. And they want to defeat the idea that I have heard from others, also some well-intentioned relatives, that you kind of earn a spouse from God. Some of the bad motivations is that it can be very easy to deal with rejection by saying, well, I'm just waiting on God to bring me the one. And so if I have things that are that I may really need to work on, such as health, how I interact with others, being more open, those kind of things, it becomes very easy for me to put that all on God and I don't have to take responsibilities for my own actions or my own shortcomings. And so those are some of the few examples that he talks about. Now, the other thing that he mentions is being single or being a Christian single is really the only time in life that this is something that we really talk about. So when I wanted to go to graduate school, I had to take a lot of action and I had to have a lot of self uh, reliance. So I had to figure out what I wanted to do. I had to apply. I had to take the classes. I had to study. And at the end, I was granted this uh, this degree. 
Um, and it's the same thing with anything else in life. I may want a wonderful job, but guess what I have to do? I have to apply. I have to fill out the resume. I have to go into the interview. And it's really only for dating that I've heard some very incredibly self-reliant women become incredibly passive and basically act as if the one is somebody who is going to appear on their doorstep wearing a bow in his head like a puppy on Christmas Day. And that's obviously not how we do anything in life. And so I find it very interesting and very odd. And he, he addresses that throughout the article uh, that this is this one time where otherwise very self-reliant women can become very passive in waiting for the one. And so what that really means. And so this is something that I myself have talked with friends about. And again, it becomes an, very much an ideal of, well, I just want to wait on God for him to bring me the one. And I myself end up being sick, but you don't do this for anything else in your life. Why is it that this is the one area that we become so incredibly passive? And I don't really have an answer for that, but it is kind of a question I'd like to turn over to you ladies to see if have y'all had experience with this idea or what do you tell people or what do you goes through your head when you hear someone say, well, I'm waiting for the one. I think I'm going to jump on this one. Uh, I loved this blog post um, because it addressed this concept of the one. This is something that I get into an argument with all of my girlfriends and actually some of my guy friends, too. Um, this isn't just a thing that is limited to women, although you do hear it a lot more from one, single women. But having some guy friends, some men in my life who are also single and are not active in the dating field, they also throw out these terms of, oh, I just need to wait for God to bring me the one that I need to spend the rest of my life with. For me, in my life, this was something that I grew up hearing, and it all, almost seemed to be part of that true love waits. There's only going to be this one brilliant person in your life that you're going to fall in love with and it will last forever. It's almost the Cinderella complex where your Prince Charming is going to come up and you'll live happily ever after and you'll never need anybody else. And I, quite frankly, I, I despise this idea of the one. I have seen so many fantastic Christian marriages where they're on their second marriage and they're so in love or their third, um, sometimes their fourth marriage. And they have such incredible capacity to love and to feel for each other and have amazing relationships that the idea of there being only one person out there for you seems very limiting and not just limiting for us as humans, but limiting for God's plan for your life as well. It also brings into question, what are people supposed to do when they lose that special someone? Are they just not going to end up with anybody ever again? Or if there is divorce for good reason, was that person not the one, even though they married them? And so is the next person the one? It, it's just a very complex and frustrating thought um, to have. So I really love the fact that uh, the gentleman who wrote this blog um, did write out the good motivations behind it because that was a reminder for me that there are some good things behind the concept of the one Whereas I personally have only seen a lot of the negative. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else wants to jump in on that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like this idea of the one is something that I have still been grappling with through my many years of singlehood. <laughs> um, 
And even reading this article and looking at the things that I wanted to recommend um, have come up with completely conflicting um, things. <laughs> so, um, and even, you know, what I've been told from my parents over the years is, you know, different from what other people say, all people that are wonderful Christian people that I admire. And it does touch on some weird theological things um, and differences that you don't realize are there because it's such a topic that we don't talk about as we've been stating. Um, so for me, I feel like I don't, I don't know that it's like this, there's this one mystical person, like you were saying, people build it up to be this, like your knight in shining armor, um, especially for girls, which to touch ever so slightly on something that is another increasing frustration of mine um, growing up in church and then being single later into life than my peers is how growing up as a Christian girl, especially when it comes to sexual purity, the way that people talk about your future husband, um, which I've read some great articles about how hard that can be and damaging to build up the, future husband is the motivation for your purity rather than your glorifying of God. So I feel like a lot of that is all wrapped up into one, into this one mass, you know, amazing mystical person. Um, I don't know about all that, but what I do believe is that there is a plan in God's mind for things. And I do think that we um, have our own will. So I think we can make choices. And I do believe that God can use those choices to glorify himself. And I think that he can, use our choices, use our circumstances. He is more powerful, obviously, than us, um, and we are not going to limit him by our choices. What I did have a hard time with in this article is, um, and I was kind of um, anxiously awaiting the follow-up, which I will be looking for, um, in which basically um, Justin, uh, Justin Campbell, he talks about how you need to, basically you need to take action. It's a call to action for singles in the church that we don't need to be just sitting around, like you said, waiting for, um, this puppy on our doorstep with a bow, which I agree with. <laughs> and um, I think especially in my life, I don't know about y'all's experience, but what I've seen for the men in the church, I feel like um, it's a good call to action because what I've experienced is all of the women literally never being inactive. And that's something that I feel like I've had to, um, and he even touches on on the article, kind of deal with on myself in a personal level and my conviction with God about, at what point does this become me being active in trying to, you know, go out and meet somebody? And at what point does it become an idol where I, I can't sit still and I just have to make this happen and um, kind of, you know, force something because I'm being impatient, which for me is a struggle with patience. So I've been working on that. So reading the article was kind of a an interesting um, take on what I found to be my situation and watching and um, the article or the sermon that I'm going to reference later at the end is a recommendation um, is from my pastor that at my church in Atlanta before I moved here, um, which is Passion City Church, Louis Giglio. So um, his his standpoint is that there is a plan, there is a person. Um, and, and the reason that I like the way that he goes about it is that um, you know, there are cir circumstances in our life where there's irrefutable evidence of God's um, plan in his hands all over our life. And, you know, he knows every hair on our head. He is very interested in our life and the way that it's going to go and our purposes. And he, you know, I think makes us the way that we are for purposes that are very specific to us. And, um, you know, talks about in the Bible how we all are different portions of a working body. And so we are the way that we are with no error. Um, I mean, we have error, we have sin, but like we're made the way that we were on purpose. So um, I do think that there are purposes he wants to get across and that um, there is a, a future spouse for us out there somewhere that um, will help fulfill that purpose in a greater way. If that's kind of where our, our life is headed. But I was struggling with this um, blog post wondering what action he's going to call us to um, because it seemed like he was almost leaning to, and I read a few other blog posts, almost leaning to this stance of like, we'll just go out there and find somebody. Um, like, you know, if they're a Christian and you're a Christian and you're both seeking God, then I kind of got the feeling of like, well, you know, like almost anybody will do. <laughs> and I know that's not really essentially where he was intending to go. Um, but 
it seemed very um, almost what I've gotten from people about my singleness being in my late 20s that, well, you're just being too picky. Um, and I do agree that there are times where people turn away people for any reason. But um, I do think there's something to be said for, you know, not settling for someone just so you can get married and start your life, quote unquote, because that's something we hear all the time, too. But really waiting for, you know, a person where you can both glorify God more together and that you do have um, a connection that you don't you just don't find with everyone who is a Christian simply because you're both Christians and, you know, will you get along well enough? Um, and of course, I think a lot of that comes from our backgrounds. My parents got married um, directly out of high school, high school sweethearts. They're still together today. Um, and, you know, they have always they've always encouraged us that there could be more than one person in your life that could be honoring to God and everything. But also to not, you know, settle for something that our heart wasn't really in. So um, I guess that's just where I come from is from seeing all the different relationships in my life where there's a very special connection. There's a very special purpose in the relationship that is very evident. Um, and that's kind of, I guess, where I stand. I know that was a little rambly, but um, still still working on the fine tuning of, of those ideas. Well, Bethany, I completely agree with you and the you need to make sure that there is that there's more than, oh, hey, we both happen to be in the singles group and you know, it's been a while. So I completely agree with you there. One of the other things that you mentioned that I, that I find very interesting that, I, again, I see lots of single women doing and that I think sometimes, again, that the church unintentionally encourages us to do is this idea that my life is kind of in stasis and that my life hasn't really started yet because I'm not dating and I'm not married and I don't have children. And so that somehow my life is subpar to my friends who are married and are actively taking care of children and again this is something that I have to give a shout out to my mother for being very good about that she always says that you know don't you know don't wait until don't wait until you're married to get yourself nice stuff you know go ahead and nest go ahead and enjoy some of these things because if not you know I have good friends who are still using dishes from college, futons, and some of these things. And I asked them, you know, what's going on with this? I said, well, you know, I'm going to wait until I get married and I can get something nice. And Right, you know, yes. Okay, <laughs> but we don't know when that's going to happen. So enjoy the life you're living now and don't, and we need to make sure that our singleness is not a stasis of life and that we are still li- living with full and deliberate joy. Right, yeah, I think, and he even touches on that in the blog in a different one about, um, marriage is not what makes you holy. Um, because that's kind of another thing I think that gets thrown around is uh, essentially that you're waiting for your life to begin and you're waiting to mature until you're married. And like, ev- Oh, everyone that is married is so mature. They're so holy. You know, they've gone through these quote adult processes, um, which can be very devaluing to you as a single person. And for, even for me personally, and he says in the, the that portion of the blog, um, it's it's an it can be an excuse to not mature to not fully you know use your talents and your circumstances to glorify God if you're just in this perpetual waiting. Yes, I love that you're bringing that out. That um, oh goodness, now I'm forgetting where I was going. Uh, I love that you're bringing out the fact that it is this grappling with whether we are supposed to wait whether we're supposed to take action and how that translates into our identity in the church itself. Um, I don't know about you ladies, but I've tried to get involved with different ministries at churches that were not singles groups. And I usually ended up leaving them because I felt left out or devalued or just out of the loop because of my relationship status where you have these amazing powerhouse women who are married, who have children, who have grandchildren that have these connections with each other because of that and have almost seemed to forget um, what it is to be a single woman um, and so leave you by the wayside unintentionally. 
I've definitely found that um, very much so. And even with friends, um, me and my friends even kind of joke about it, this um, phenomenon, if you will, of our friends from college or whatnot, um, finding someone, getting married, and disappearing into the night. Um, and it is understandable that in different you know, I was going to say stages of life, but I hate to say it that way. It's not a different stage. It's a different place. <laughs> it's a different place because I'm not trying to level up here. <laughs> um, but in different places in life, it, it's hard to always um, get on the same leveling. And you don't have as much in common necessarily in that season. Um, but it is a strange phenomenon that you do seem to lose touch and feel left out and not be able to connect with on a deeper level with people that are maybe not in that same place. But um, like Sarah said, the flip side of that is that I have so many beautiful friendships with women, my own age who are still single um, where we've all kind of been going through the same process together. And those women I have found to be remarkable about when they have gotten married, very staying very close because they understand and they're so close to it still. Um, that it's just a different, it's kind of a different scenario, I guess. I totally agree with you there, Bethany. Um, for my friends who got married right out of college, I have a few of those that I'm still close to, but most of the women who I would call very close friends who are married, they got married a little later, not necessarily in their late thirties, but early thirties, mid thirties. And so as I'm, visiting with them about dating and being a single woman, there's more empathy there because they actually have experienced it. They know it. And so it becomes something that we can bond over in a way that is just missing from some of the fr my friends who, as much as I love and adore them, can't quite make the connection of it's, the eighth family Thanksgiving and everyone's like, so are you dating anybody? That thing that uh, they say in the first Bridget Jones uh, movie where the, the question dreaded by all singletons is, so how's your love life? Well, yes. like anybody <laughs> ever gives an honest answer to that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's that, the, it's kind of that um, almost boils down to like, just don't get it. Like they just don't get it. Um, which is no one's fault. I, I don't necessarily get the things that my married friends are going through, um, but I have found from my fellow women who have been single a bit later that they they attempt to bridge that gap and um, foster the understanding because they understand kind of the scenario a little bit better. And something I was going to mention, which I'm sorry, this is a little off the wall, but I thought about, we mentioned it earlier and I didn't want to interrupt, um, was about the whole church single groups and meat market and all of that is that I don't know about you guys, but I find that as a single person in the church and outside of the church, quite honestly, especially at work, I don't know why everybody wants to give me advice about how to be unsingle and um, it gets frustrating. <laughs> and the, the number one thing that people tell me is like, Oh, well you just don't go to the right places to meet people. And even for my family, everyone. And um, but then at church, I feel as if, you, like you've said, it's kind of taboo to be single and that churches don't want to create this meat market atmosphere. People, if they meet in a singles group, it's almost like they're afraid to admit that they met in singles group because it'll look like they came there just to meet somebody. But the frustration for me there is of all the places that we could meet someone, isn't that where we should meet someone um, and where I would want to meet someone? I would love to meet someone who is um, growing in the same community of faith as me, that wants to volunteer in the same places that I do at the same church, that has um, a like mind in their relationship with Christ that I do. So sometimes that gets a little frustrating because um, it's, you know, you don't want to go to church and feel like you're being like accosted by single men. But um, I do feel like that there's been some shame put on the idea that you could possibly even be looking for a spouse at church. Um, which I hate for men and women alike that uh, we would feel any shame in that we were trying to find someone or that we would just even be okay with stumbling into someone um, at the place that is the, I feel the best place for us to meet somebody. Well, Bethany, that's very true. And one of the things that I have found from talking with some of my uh, 
uh, single male friends uh, through our uh, group here in Waco is that many times they might actually want to ask a woman at church out, but there's this paralyzing fear that, well, if we go out and it doesn't work out, one of us has to leave. Or if you're there for a while and maybe a new person joins and then you don't want to be a player and date all the women in the church. And so that becomes, it becomes an extra thing. I think sometimes men have to handle, whereas at least for the, the environment that I'm in, it's again, women are expected to be a little more passive and well, he asked me out. So yes, but, uh, I know, I know many men who have had issues with, well, we're part of a group of friends. What if it ruins the relationship? All of right. that kind of thing, which all gets kind of added together um, and can be very difficult uh, to handle. Right. Agreed. Um, I'm going to bring up a question that we've all been kind of skirting around. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably asking themselves this. We've been dishing out the criticism for how the church handles singles, I guess you could say, to put it gently. What would be your suggestions for how the church could uh, reach out to singles or minister to them in a more effective way? Again, this is something that I have had many conversations with friends about. And I think that part of what is going to be required is that the church is that we recognize, again, we need to minister to people where they are and that just like the name of the blog, we need to be able to tell them more than don't have sex, which we don't really even get as singles. It's more of a, hey, P.S., you remember that when that time you took True Love Weights back when you were 14? Yeah, all that still applies. And so because of this, Christian singles are left rudderless because we don't get any sermons that address our specific stage of life. And many times that there are things that people do as part of their regular single life that different churches can say, well, this is, oh, well, you like to go out and you like to go drinking. Well, that's obviously, you know, alcohol is obviously a very bad thing. You shouldn't be doing this. And so these things that become very much natural part of the single person's life it does. It's not addressed, or if it is addressed, it's probably going to be a negative thing that you're doing, and you need to stop it, or um, and just acknowledge acknowledge that we're here and that we're wanted and that we're valued would go a long way, I think, to making more Christian singles feel comfortable, feel welcomed, and. Occasionally having difficult conversations, not that you're going to have a conver- necessarily going to have that difficult conversation from the pulpit about sex, but, you know, props to that preacher who will, but talk about these things in small groups and don't just assume that people who are now in maybe their late thirties, that the things that you told them about sexual ethics and sexual, um, and, you know, you just need to hold hands. You need to wait to kiss until you're engaged. We need to be able to presume that somebody who is 35 can handle a different level of physical relationship than a 14-year-old. And I am not saying this in any way to uh, go against our traditional Christian sexual ethics. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that we need to at least be able to say this is a struggle because it's one thing to tell a 14-year-old, hey, you need to wait when that waiting might be eight years. It's very different when that waiting waiting becomes 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. And to just open up and let the church say, we know this is difficult and we want to be with you in this difficulty to me would go a very long way to being able to bring Christians back into the fold and make us feel welcome in the church. I'm, just silently applauding you over here, Sarah, (laughs) because so much of that is, is what I talk about with my Christian friends, the girls who are my age that are single is, um, the, especially on that one topic is that, you know, people brush under the rug, all of the things that being single implies in Christianity. And it's not just that we, um, are maybe perceived by people as lonely, 
um, or that they feel sorry for us. But it's also um, the fact that they're forgetting a that, you know, our sexual ethics are in a kind of a different ballpark than everybody else or B, remembering it, but assuming that, like you said, everything's been covered before. <laughs> so here we are. Um, but yes, life when you're almost 30 is very different than when you're 15. And um, I think that gets missed and not acknowledged and treated incorrectly, and especially with women. Um, and again, this is like touching on a totally different topic, but even in our formative years, the way that we're talked to about it is is so um, one-sided a lot, very my church is very sparingly touched on um, in ways that make women feel feel shameful for the fact that it's hard to wait, <laughs> basically. Um, so anyway, um, I do think that's a topic that needs to be talked about more. But um, more practically and like specifically, I would love what I envision I would love to see um, is something like Sarah's involved in, um, because I know that some churches just don't have the singles population to support um, you know, a community of fellowship, but something, you know, non-denominational, interdenominational, where people can come and fellowship with people who understand where they're at. But even more than that, just have a moment of life where they are in a place where nobody's going to ask them why they're single or when their next date is or tell them their one is just around the corner um, because we've all kind of been there. But I think in bigger churches or churches that have the ability I do think that there's a good, healthy way to, you know, have a community group, maybe just for a specific set of ages or, you know, that are single or something that is not meant to be a dating group. It's not meant to be specifically about being single. It's just a way to fellowship and dig deeper into the word in a way where it you feel some normalcy to your singleness. And I think that's really all anybody wants. Like Sarah said, is just for us to be acknowledged and for conversations that we need to have that are hard that we all have outside of church anyway (laughs) with our single friends who are Christians and non-Christians to be had in a, in a safe place where we can discuss, you know, our struggles and our triumphs and all of that together. Um, I think that's really all most of us are looking for, um, which I guess is easier said than done, but just the acknowledgement and, you know, the help to, you know, to just glorify God in our lives and how we are now and to not necessarily um, always be looking to what our future could be, but where we're at now, what are we doing in our life and our relationship with God now um, and finding joy in that and celebrating that. And I absolutely agree with both of you. Um, The number one thing that I was thinking about was something that you both said, and it was acknowledgement. Um, Just to be acknowledged as a people group and also to acknowledge that being single is okay. It's not to glorify singleness over marriage because marriage is a holy union under God, but to acknowledge that it's all right if you are not married, if you are not in a special relationship like that, and it's all right if you never are. Um, because we do have that special relationship with God, and that's the main relationship that we should all be focusing on. Before we close, would you guys like to give any recommendations to our listeners? Um, sure, I'll uh, jump in here. I've mentioned mine a, a few times, um, <laughs> but um, Louis Giglio um, is a pastor, which um, – ironically came out of Waco, I believe Sarah, which is I think where you're from. And, um, but he lives in Atlanta now where I'm from and pastor of passion city church where I used to attend for many years. Um, but he did a sermon series. Well, one years ago about dating, but, um, a different one about relatable and how to relate to different relationships in your life, um, in a healthy way. But one of the sermons he did was about becoming someone versus finding someone, Um, And it really just talks a lot about how, you know, we need a maker, not a mate, and how we, you know, along the way things unfold, but that the underlying purpose of our life is to glorify God and to expand and mature in our relationship with him um, and that how that kind of plays into it. So that's really good. So I would recommend um, that sermon or really any in that sermon series. 
thank you for that recommendation, Bethany. We'll leave a link to that in the episode notes. Sarah? Um, I would just like to continue to kind of push the wonderful uh, blog that we've been talking about. Uh, it's, again, it's called More Than Don't Have Sex. I've been reading this for about two, about two or three years, and I'm honestly, I don't know how I found it, but it is really an outstanding resource. The Justin Campbell, who uh, writes the blog, was is a minister and started the blog when he was a single minister and talks about the difficulties of being a single minister. And then in the course of writing the blog, he has gotten married. And so he has both sides of this argument. And he talks about a lot of different stuff, not just some of the things we've talked about, but he talks a lot about the importance of attraction and how that is a very real thing that you need to be able to have with a spouse. He talks about how the church, the capital C church can really interact better with singles. Um, And he talks about really that what we can do as singles to either a continue to fulfill our purpose through God with God while we are while we are in that period of life, but that we need to make sure that 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 is not the only thing we are pursuing. We do not just need to be pursuing dating. We need to be pursuing God and that that truly does always need to be the number one thing in our lives. And so he's written multiple, multiple articles. I think it. I want to say the blog goes back about maybe four or five years. And he has a post about once every month or so, and it's generally fairly entertaining. And the other thing that's really great is as a woman, I, I know what women think. And so it's really great here to feel what I, to hear what I feel is a very, a man's very honest opinion. And so that's been really interesting for me. All right. And I, my recommendations to be honest are quite varied when Um, we decided to do this episode topic. Um, I immediately went to Google and was bombarded by so many different articles about singleness and the church. Um, So I'm just going to be leaving the link to three that I thought were uh, pretty interesting to read. One is called Why Do Churches Treat Singleness Like a Problem? Which uh, sounds exactly like it it does on the label is exactly like what it sounds like um, and it just goes through some of the things that we've talked about today uh, and some possible solutions that the church can do there's also um, John Stott he did an interview with Christianity Today about singleness which was very interesting which is also linked and Um, There is another article called Lonely Sunday, Single Christians and the Church's Opportunity, which was written by a woman named Chris Beckert. Um, And it starts out talking about the first Sunday of the new year, which actually is the number one day for online dating for singles and how that Sunday after New Year's is the busiest day for singles and online dating. So what can the church do to reach out to singles who are going to church in the morning, who are ministering to you and your family, and then when they get home, they feel so alone that they are now going back to these online sites, which is just an interesting perspective to take. I'm also going to put the link for True Love Waits in the episode notes. Um, We've mentioned that several times, but I don't think we've ever actually explained what it is. True Love Waits is a Bible study slash book movement that came out, I want to say 20 years ago, that if I can quote from their website, it's a group that uh, is committed that has committed and is um, interested in furthering commitments of others to Christ in the pursuit of purity. Um, 
namely sexual purity. And it is a very interesting and worthwhile perspective to take, but as you might have been able to tell from our conversation, it is not the only conversation that you can have with singles. Um, but the link there is also uh, in the episode notes. And I'd just like to thank you for listening to the Christian Feminist Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic or reading recommendations for future shows, or if you just want to drop us a line, you can do so at christianfeministpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page and check out the show notes from this and our other episodes at the Christian Humanist blog at christianhumanist.org. The Christian Feminist Podcast is a member of the Christian Humanist Podcast Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison and Elizabeth Bremner is our intern. For Sarah Davis and Bethany Norman, I'm Leah Henning. Tune in next time when we have an exciting network-wide crossover event. Until then, in Essentials Unity, in Non-Essentials Liberty, and in All Things Love.